I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed. It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. Welcome to Rapid Fire, your weekly 2A talk radio show sponsored by Vortex Optics. Tune in every week at capegunworks.com and click on the Rapid Fire icon. You can join the conversation by calling or texting the Rapid Fire line, 508-444-2120. That's 508-444-2120. And remember, you can like us and subscribe on all of our social media or wherever you get your social media. Our handle is at Cape Gunworks on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Parlor, Twitch, Telegram, Rumble, except for Instagram, who took us down. Yes, we are still in the black hole on Instagram since we got Zuckerberged. So you'll have to follow us at CGW underscore backup, which is our backup page on Instagram. And we would love to have you follow us there and like, subscribe, share, comment and defeat the evil algorithms that want to keep us off the interwebs. Um, and this is your weekly show about guns, right? And what is in the news today, more than ever, more than it's not a slow news day when it comes to guns. It is a subject matter that is all over the news. Um, we had a horrific tragedy that took place in Evaldi, Texas yesterday when a evil psychopath decided to go and prey on innocent children. It takes a true, a truly different kind of evil, if you ask me, of somebody who wants to go kill children. Like nothing boggles the mind and the intellect more than somebody who wants to harm children especially as a father, how heavy it makes my heart to think what those families are going through and to think about, you know, just that community that is mourning and suffering. My thoughts and prayers are with you. And then on the other side of the equation, you have both sides of the gun argument, uh, those for guns and those against guns kind of taking sides and digging heels in and planting flags and lobbing talking points at each other. And that to me is also just as not just as disturbing, um, but the fact that they don't even want to let um, the proper mourning of this tragedy and the proper time to go by uh, to you know, figure out what happened and what, how this took place and what went wrong in, you know, this person's family and his childhood and his upbringing in the red flags that he was throwing up in the social media accounts that he was sending off, um, you know, all kinds of warning bells, uh, 
was he known to the authorities? Was he known to the school? Was he known to his parents? Was he known to his grandmother who apparently tried to intervene? But anyway, um, the bottom line is that unfortunately there's always a rush to try to use this as a hammer to get your whatever side you find yourself of the argument on uh, to to hammer home your point and to drive people to think irrationally and and to decide to you know act in whatever way you feel is gonna you know help the the situation or ultimately further your goal and to push your agenda further down the field and that I find is extremely distasteful and and despicable in fact um Beto O'Rourke interrupted uh, a Uvalde press conference in Texas with Dan Patrick and Greg Abbott, the governor, and uh, the mayor uh, (laughs) really got hot under the collar and uh, called him a sick SOB for interrupting. And Beto wanted to make some, you know, big, I guess, charade of you know, getting in their face. Maybe they thought this would help his gubernatorial campaign where all of a sudden he could have the moral high ground to sit there and wag his finger in the face of the governor and the, you know, uh, the lieutenant governor and basically make it sound like he's the only one that's actually going to do something about this because, hell yeah, he's coming for your AK-47s and your AR-15s. But that wouldn't, you know, that that doesn't change a thing here. You got on Congress, um, we got Senator Chuck Schumer calling for a vote for universal background checks and to give the FBI an extra 17 days to conduct said background check because three days isn't enough. And neither of those laws would have prevented this unfortunate outcome. You can't legislate evil out of the heart of people. That's the point. Um, and there's an interesting article on Bearing Arms today um, about how there's an op-ed piece that is suggesting Israeli-style gun laws. And I haven't read the whole uh, article yet, but um, one thing I will say about Israeli gun laws is when I was there about 19 years ago, we went to a kibbutz and uh, we went there for lunch and we pulled in and in our tour bus and we got out and we're all in the lunchroom and all of a sudden all the teachers have like a white cargo pants on um, and guess what? They have Uzis slung around their backs and in their cargo pants pockets, they have two or three magazines Incoming. of 9mm in long, high-capacity, 32-round magazines. And I remember just staring at them going, oh, my gosh, like, this isn't security. This is the teachers. And I said to one of them, I said, uh, what's with the Uzis, guys? And what was amazing to me was the kids didn't notice them, the, the staff didn't notice, the teachers were all just chatting, like, just another day at the office. And... I remember saying we sat down kind of cafeteria style and I asked one of the teachers, I said, you know, there's at least four or five guys in here with Uzis slung around their back. And they go, oh yeah, they're all teachers. 
And I said, well, what's with the Uzis? And they said, oh, well, back in 1977 or something like that, we had a terrorist attack on one of the kibbutz's schools. And, uh, you know, since, since then, we've all been carrying Uzis. I said, oh, wow. Like, have you? And they said, and guess what? We've never had a repeat performance. So they've never had another terrorist attack on a school in on these kibbutzes that the teachers are well armed. And now I'm not mandating or saying we should mandate that teachers carry around Uzis in schools. But the argument can be made for if the teachers who want to be armed are, and maybe that requires some special training, maybe it doesn't, but I'm okay with it if it does. Um, it's a movement in the right direction rather than waiting for uh, police to respond, which are probably, you know, 10 to 13 minutes away. So, all right, we will be back after this break, but we want to thank you for listening to Rapid Fire. If you use this week's code training at capegunworks.com, you will get a very special discount on your online order. Go to capegunworks.com and use the code training to get your special discount today. Right after the break, we got Rob Pincus, so you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We will be right back. This is Rapid Fire. If you crave versatility in a tactical reticle, the new ARBDC-3 delivers with a host of features you need to adapt in the field. A 1 MOA center dot provides a precise point of aim, while the surrounding 16 MOA open circle helps get your eye into the center faster for rapid target acquisition in close quarters. The ARBDC-3 also adapts to a variety of light conditions. The center dot and surrounding open circle illuminate for low-light shooting, and because the reticle is glass-etched, it can also function without any illumination. When you need to go long, the upper ranging feature allows you to range silhouette targets up to 600 yards, while the bullet drop compensator, or BDC, keeps you on target up to 650 yards. Plus, you get wind holds for 5, 10, and 15 mile per hour winds. The ARBDC-3 is specifically tuned to the ballistic performance of most common 5.56 loads out of an AR-15. There are resources in the reticle manual for conversions to 308, and as with any BDC, information gathered from a chronograph and ballistics calculator can adapt these hash marks to any other caliber and its own unique ballistic curve. From point blank to way down range, adapt with the ARBDC-3. Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And I'm really happy to have on the line one of the hardest working men around, Rob Pincus, who's, uh, I'm sure, got a lot going on these days. But how are you today, Rob? I'll tell you what, it's uh, been a heck of a 24 hours. I'm, uh, you know, like always, in the the aftermath of these tragedies, uh, there's always a lot of work to be done. Um, Some of it is responding, uh, and some of it is, is honestly 
getting the word about, out about what's important and getting people focused on, you know, what we really can do. But unfortunately, you know, I got out of a lunch meeting yesterday and I'm out of my Western headquarters. Uh, I've had, since I was up there with you guys, it's been kind of nonstop. And this week was supposed to be a little bit of an admin week before I get back out on the tour. I uh, got done with a lunch meeting yesterday here in Denver and heard about the, the news about this, this unbelievably horrific killings uh, down in Texas. And of course, it's right on the heels of still talking about and dealing with the aftermath of the event in, in Buffalo, New York. Uh, but And as is typical, you know, the talking points are out there, right? Everyone's got their list of things that they want to do uh, that are that are restrictions and laws and controls. And on our side, we've got the list of, you know, finger pointing at, at the people that just want to take away our rights. And, and I think some of it is, is obviously valid, but, but, you know, it's really not where we need to be focused. Uh, so, you know, let's, let's not fall into the talking point trap this segment. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Um, so along those lines, like you said, both sides usually gravitate to the typical top, top and talking points. What is your big takeaways from something like this on the aftermath of another mass shooting? What is the three areas or four areas that you think are the most um, beneficial to focus in on? Well, I think that one of the, the things that's really become incredibly apparent, and unfortunately, it's it's become so obvious that, that now some of the gun controllers are, are almost trying to avoid it, or they're, 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 they're casting it as a talking point, which it's really not, which is we need much more assertive, proactive mental health uh, care and intervention uh, in our communities, in our schools especially, uh, but really nationwide. And, and I say even in the gun community, we need mm. to be far more proactive and far more uh, intervention-minded. Um, if, if we think something's off, we need to, you know, with ourselves, go, go to, you know, walk to talk America, wtta.org, firearms-friendly, um, anonymous and free mental health screenings available. Uh, obviously, you can get those kinds of mental health screenings just about anywhere now online. Um, or you can find uh, a lot of free resources for mental health, and especially um, if you're depressed, thinking about suicide, um, things like that, in, in all the communities around the country. We've seen a, a rebirth and a resurgence of, of interest in proactive mental health care and intervention before crisis mental health care around our country. Um, are we, we have not moved nearly far enough, however. So I think that's one of these places where you know, I have to ask you know, about the New York case. Where is that mental health professional that did the evaluation after the person made the threat to do exactly what he ended up doing? Where is the person that evaluated him during an involuntary commitment and then said, no, everything's fine? Right. You know, that person has some answering to do. And I think even in communities all around the country, you know, there are these, these people on social media. There's kids that are troubled. There's kids that act out. There's kids that say, they, they're going to commit violence or they do commit acts of violence. Like the, the, we've heard about this mutilation of a stray cat that happened up uh, in New York with the shooter up there. Like where's the intervention that is maybe hard, right? Maybe it invades some privacy. Maybe it makes people uncomfortable. Maybe it's awkward for the parents or the family or the community or the school system to admit that they've got a potential problem here and action needs to be taken um, without as much regard, I think for, delicate feelings or perceptions uh, because let's face it 99.9 percent .9 of the time it, it blows over and it's not a problem but man look how horrific it is when the problem is real right so i think that's the, the place we start is proactive intervention more assertive intervention uh and let's find out is there a problem here or not and if there's not we're sorry we inconvenienced you family of you know middle class family in america but we had to intervene to find out because of the flags that were being waved mm. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one. I I know that you know 
it used to be handled a lot in the at the family level too. Like if you knew somebody in the family was disturbed or or not doing well, or maybe uh, an addict or something, you didn't invite them to come check out the new gun you bought, right? I mean, it was just the way it was. It, in my case, especially, I know people that I wouldn't talk to and say, "Hey." you know, you got to come check out the latest gun I got. And isn't this cool? You know, that was just, just because sure. of the, yeah, I think we, I, I think we've overcorrected a little bit in the gun community and we've been on our heels uh, fighting back against restrictions so much that we uh, maybe are occasionally, and it's the, it's the rhetoric, right? I don't think people really believe this way, but they say things like, I think everybody should have a gun. Well, nobody really believes that. I don't think should everybody have the opportunity you know, until proven irresponsible or negligent or, or other identifiers such as, you know, the lack of ability to control their anger, anger or the lack of ability to understand the ramifications of some of their actions like, or perception, dementia, hallucinations, judgment issues. Those people should be restricted from firearms ownership when they pose a threat to themselves or others. I think we agree on that, right? Mm-hmm. Now, it's hard to say because it sounds like gun control, but, but those kinds of things are what you're talking about. And honestly, that's where something like you know, the gun pro project, uh, the pledge of responsible ownership comes in where, you know, a gun owner says with, with uh, two witnesses, you know, two friends of his that, that are maybe gun owners, maybe not two maybe family members, whatever. They take the pledge of responsible ownership and they commit to, you know, getting training, uh, getting the right education for the firearms they own and the way they want to use them. They commit to the second thing they commit to is taking action and steps to prevent unauthorized access, you know, to secure their firearms from unauthorized access. And the third thing is that they, they promise to reach out for help. And the people taking the pledge with them, sort of witnessing it, promise to provide the help should they, they reach a point in their lives where maybe firearms ownership isn't the right thing for them because of you know, mental issues or you know, stress or, or they move or you know, they have family members that are in the house with them they have to take in that, that can't be around firearms. You know, these, these three simple steps, I think if, if more gun owners made it clear and made it public and involved their friends and probably fellow gun owners in meeting those three commitments, we would have more accountability in the gun community and we'd have more opportunities to intervene before crises. Because, you know, if I took that pledge with you and I know you were going through a hard time with a, with a health issue or a job issue or a family issue, that would give me the, the onus, right? The obligation would be on me to say, hey, man, you know, we talked about this when, when you became a gun owner. We talked about this, you know, when we both signed that pledge of responsible ownership. Are things okay? You know, do, you want, do I need to hold the guns? Do you, do you need to get a mental health evaluation? You know, where, where are we on that level? And just forcing those conversations, and when I say forcing, just I obviously don't mean the government being involved or making it mandatory, but just creating the opportunity mm-hmm. for those conversations um, as part of being part of the gun community, I think that could go a long way. And I think it's the same thing you're talking about. We used to do that. And now we're so afraid of being accused of infringing on somebody's rights that, that I think people shy away from it. We need to get past that. Right. Well, I think that's really the, the opportunity exists within the gun industry to take on that leadership role. And, you know, you've heard it. It's kind of cliche to say that if we don't do it ourselves, then we'll be forced to do it by the government. You know what I mean? And uh, but the point is. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't see the the side of this from gun owners and don't assume we do nothing and that everybody wants everybody to have as many guns at their disposal as possible. But uh, the truth of the matter is there are a lot of great groups and some that you support and some that, you know, have others that have emerged. And but at the very basic 
tenant of it is the fact that we all have a responsibility within our circle of friends and family and everything else. And I think you said it very well and articulately that, you know, we can hold each other accountable. We can at least uh, be a good example to others and more importantly, show that we care in their lives. That's, I think, the the part that really is always the glaring uh, side of every tragedy like this is where the heck is this person's family and how do they get unencumbered access to guns if they are known to be disturbed or known to have mental health, health issues? Because I don't know of any case where someone just walks in the gun store, buys a gun the next day, does a school shooting without giving off any type of warning signs. Um, maybe there right, is that right. We don't hear you know, that old cliche of, well, he was a quiet and friendly guy and he's the last one we would have suspected. Like right. you really don't hear that, right? Like that, that's <laughs> a trope that, that the media, you know, has played out for a long time and, and maybe movies and stories have played out. Right? But the reality is that's not what we hear anymore. Right. right. And, and I don't know if it even was true, but it certainly isn't true today in the, in the era of social media, the era of finding the people's communications and finding their fake accounts and finding all this stuff out afterwards. You know, you even think about like the Unabomber, right? Like the ultimate recluse hermit, you know, kept to himself. But really people said, no, he was kind of strange, right? There were problems here and there were things he said. And, and yeah, if we look back, oh, wow, there were some warning signs. Did we really think that was the guy, you know, sophisticated enough to be sending bombs over the country? No, but something was off. Right. And, and, and that's what we're hearing time and time again. Now, I will say that I, at this point, have not heard anything. If something's come out this morning while I've been doing you know, interviews and having conversations about things we can really do that are positive, if something's come out about the shooter in Texas this week having had previous mental health issues, I haven't heard them yet. You know, what I understand is that he was apparently, uh, you know, he was holding down a job. He worked at Burger King. He was enrolled in school. He was being held back, and that is apparently one of the triggers, if not the trigger, uh, for his violence. And uh, it looks like his grandmother knew what was about to happen and was trying to stop him. As I understand it, she's still alive, and we will probably learn a lot more from her about why she was in the front yard fighting with him, and you know he shot her, and then went you know to directly to the school and committed these these tragedies killings uh but there's some reason she was stopping him now was she stopping him because he said i'm going to take my gun and go shoot up the school or was he did was this was there more to this did she see this coming months or weeks ago and didn't take the right steps to intervene and and i get it like she's in the hospital she got shot she's a victim but is she in some way also complicit if she didn't do anything and i know that's hard to say and people are going to think rob that's how can you say that i can say it because that's what we see historically is that there are family members who saw it coming. We had it happen right here in Colorado. Family members knew uh, that the shooter that, that shot up the grocery store in Boulder uh, last year, family members absolutely knew that this guy was, was a violent actor who couldn't control his anger and had guns. And yet he still made it to the, to the grocery store and still killed people. Right. The one thing that it also showcases is that, you know, evil exists, right? It's it's in the hearts of some people, and there's no law that you can really pass that's going to change that. So, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, we don't need to be our brother's keeper. We need to be our brother's brother, you know, and really be that brother yeah. to them. And uh, Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and be empathetic and, you know, 
a good listener maybe and not just assume everything's okay and uh but at the end of the day tragedy happens and so what can people do and i know you're a big part of the pdn training tour you started it a few years ago and uh you know what 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 can people do to learn to protect themselves against this type of uh thing why don't you give us a quick tour update yeah you you've got um a lot of uh you know, access to this information, as does everybody, because you can go to personaldefensenetwork.com. There's lots of free videos on active shooter response or active killer threats, things like that. Um, there's Aaron Janetti's uh, great book, um, Stopping the, the Active Killer. You've got uh, the School Attacker Response Course, SARC, um, School Attacker Response Course information out there. All, we, we certify hundreds of instructors across the country. Uh, after the, the Sandy Hook massacre uh, to teach this stuff for free. And we teach a really simple program, um, evade, barricade, and respond as necessary. And those are uh, the corollaries to the run, hide, fight program that came out a couple of years later uh, by, from the federal government. And really what it comes down to is we, we teach kids to get off the campus. Um, in New York, I understand that the responding police officers were breaking windows uh, on the ground floor of the school and bringing kids out through the windows to get them out of the, the danger zone, right? It's one of the things that was missing from the old lockdown policy of just hide and hope, right? You hide in the room, you hope the good guys get there before the bad guy does. Um, we're telling kids, get off the campus. I don't care. I'd rather they take the risk of, uh, you know, running through the, the the street, running through the town, being unsupervised. We have maybe you're running through traffic. Like, let's do that instead of telling kids to hide in a corner and hope. Right. But then ultimately, even if you are not able to run away and you are having to barricade, we want to make sure the schools are equipped with the right kinds of barricade devices. I mean, in Oxford, the Oxford School in, in Michigan, and I believe Oakland County, I think it was the school's name was Oxford, the township of Oxford, uh, last year in Michigan, that those devices that allowed those doors to be barricaded um, better than just turning a lock and hoping, uh, those devices saved lives in that school. So, so barricading pr- provisions, devices, and knowledge, incredibly important to teachers, um, and the staff in the schools and the schools are equipped with barricade devices to lock the room um, from the, the shooter being able to simply break glass or break a normal lock or break a hinge and get in the room. Those things are important. And then ultimately, when you can't run away and, you, and the barricade isn't working, we have to be teaching kids to fight back. We have to be empowering them to fight back. And that doesn't mean, obviously, you know, middle schoolers with guns. It doesn't even mean teachers that are armed as part of their job. Now, I, I am a big proponent of the option, I think people that, that are willing to take on the responsibility and get the training should be allowed to carry anywhere they work, right? I, I believe in that, the idea of universal right to concealed carry, even at work, and that includes teachers. But I don't think we should be thinking about arming teachers as part of their job, but we certainly can arm them and the kids with the knowledge of how to use uh, books in a backpack as improvised body armor, how to use the, the striking devices, the cutting devices, the implements that exist in the everyday classroom, or you know, like, like it's, sometimes it gets made fun of, but at the end of the day, the school system in Alabama that had all the kids bring in two cans of vegetables or soup and stage them in a pile in the back of the room so they could be used as, as you know, throwing and striking weapons, that's brilliant. I mean, how you're not going to give the seventh grader a gun. You're right. not going to give the seventh grader a sword. You're not going to give the seventh grader, you know, uh, some, some other a taser, right? But you can teach them how to strike. You can teach them that it's an option. So that if the bad guy, if the evil shows up, it's better than nothing. And I think that's what a lot of people in the gun community miss, right? No, we're not actually going to arm all the kids. You know, so we're not going to arm all the teachers. 
Right. It would be a negative to try to arm all the teachers. Some of them aren't prepared for the responsibility and aren't going to do the training and aren't going to take it seriously. But you can empower every single human being to resist violence right. and, and let them know they're supposed to and they might need to. And I think those are the three things that we need to keep in mind. When, when parents are talking to the kids at the dinner table and the breakfast table this week, it, these things are incredibly rare, first of all. There's no reason to have an unreasonable amount of fear. But, but knowing that they can happen means you should be prepared. And being prepared isn't being paranoid. And, and it should be empowering and it should be comforting when you take those two things together when parents are talking to their kids that are rightfully talking about this and worried about this is A, it's incredibly rare, but B, it could happen and you can be prepared. And, and I had that conversation with my six-year-old at the dinner table last night and she was just incredibly cute. I said, are you worried about this? You know, it was on the news. She knew I was doing some interviews. She was listening to it. Are you worried? About, I thought a bad guy, you know, hurt a bunch of people at a school in Texas. Are you worried about this? Yeah, I am. What are you worried about? I'm worried about those kids that got hurt. Like cutest thing ever, right? Like didn't refocus it. Well, are you worried that it could happen to you or at your school? Yeah, I'd be worried about my friends getting hurt. Well, what about you? Well, I'm really fast. I could run away. Mm. You know, you're right, Cindy Lee. That's, that's, the, that's the move. Like if you get the chance to run away as a six-year-old, that's the best I can do with her is empower her to know, yeah, if there's a bad guy there, you got to try to get away. And otherwise, you know, your teacher's going to tell you what to do if you're stuck in the room. Uh, but, but that conversation's hard, and I'm not having that as a gun rights advocate. I'm not having that as the executive director of Personal Defense Network. I'm having that conversation with a dad. And there's a lot of other moms and dads out there that need to be having similar conversations in a way that comforts and empowers the kids. Mm. Well, that's great uh, advice there, Rob. And how can people follow your work and find you online and, and follow along with what you're doing with the PDN Network, et cetera? Uh, yeah, the PDN tour is in full swing. Um, I'll be in St. Louis at the uh, No Other Choice Train and Learn event this weekend. We'll have four of our instructors there. And then we all, you know, we've got 10 instructors running around the country uh, for the next four months. Uh, still, classes can be, the people can learn about the classes at pdntrainingtour.com. I'll be up in Massachusetts. My last courses in the tour this year are the 12th through 15th in Boylston. Uh, we've got other instructors who are going to be in other parts of New England. I know we've got, I think Don Edwards is going to be up in New Hampshire. Um, some other people will be up there. We've got people in every corner of the country, including uh, through the mid, throughout the Midwest. We've got uh, a lot of opportunities for people to come out and learn about armed defense, home defense, unarmed defense with Ryan Hoover. Um, PDNTrainingTour.com is where they can learn about that. And uh, it's pretty easy to find me on all the social media. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show today. We'll have you on again for sure. And uh, we appreciate everything you do for the gun industry. And uh, we'll talk to you very soon. Thanks so much, Rob. Call 508-444-2120. Uh, if you have any questions and we are headed for a break but before we go you should head over to capegunworks.com and use this week's special discount code training we will be right back this is rapid fire this is the Voltec VT10i It's your travel buddy, so it goes where you go. To your work, on the road, or at the range. It's the smart and rugged safe built to protect, no matter what you trust it with. We've made sure every inch of your safe is built to the highest possible standards. Security is at the forefront of our thoughts, so no unwanted guest. 
The VT10i provides multiple quick and simple access points, including high-resolution biometrics, backlit numeric keys, keyed entry, and even your smartphone for remote access. The two-point anti-impact latches keep your safe strong, and Voltec lithium-ion battery charges in just 2.5 hours and lasts up to six months. So it won't let you down. There's a reason we're the number one rated biometric safe. Get yours at VoltecSafe.com and find us online at Facebook.com slash VoltecSafe. If you're looking for legal protection, text CGWMA to 281-603-0066. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 for a special offer from U.S. Law Shield on self-defense insurance. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 to get a special offer from U.S. Law Shield today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary, and join us every week for your weekly show about all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And I want to thank Rob Pincus for taking time out of his busy schedule to be on the show. I'm sure that, uh, you know, he's been on lots of different shows today as we start to uh, unpack everything going on in uh, the news today. I mean... Not only was there a second mass shooting in a week or 10 days, whatever it was, but today we have the Senate confirmation hearings of uh, Steve Dettelback starting, who is the President Biden's nominee for the head of the ATF, which has gone basically without a director for years now. And... uh, the last nominee, David Chipman, was basically a political hack, and operative that was nominated. And Steve Dettelback is no different. He is the 2.0 version of David Chipman without the smoldering ashes of Waco in the background. So um, that's the big difference between, you know, the current nominee and David Chipman, and that is happening today, not to mention uh, Chuck Schumer is calling for a vote on gun control, especially um, universal background checks and an expansion of the FBI NICS checks to go from three days to 20 days, and, you know, nothing surprises me. When it takes weeks to count votes, <laughs> you know, how how on earth could they ever get the background check done in three days, right? Even though the name of the whole program is called the National Instant Check System, um, if you get a proceed, you get a proceed. And as far as I know, none of the whole pro- high-profile shooters who legally bought firearms were delayed were denied a firearm. They were given a proceed. And I don't think 
20 days or three days would have changed the outcome of that. If they were given the proceed, they were given the proceed. Don't forget, you can call or text the show 508-444-2120 on our rapid fire line. That's 508-444-2120, and we will get to your questions. If we don't get to them this show, we'll get to them next time. Uh, Today, we got a lot going on. The chat is on fire and uh, the text line as well. So um, we are going to try to get to a lot of your questions later on in the show, but I just want to tee some thoughts up here. So we have President Biden who spoke in the aftermath of this shooting in Evalde, Texas, and uh, he had a few different things to say. One, we have a clip. Go ahead and play clip one. Scripture says, Jill and I have talked about this in different contexts, another context. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So many crushed spirits. So tonight, I ask the nation to pray for them, to give the parents and siblings the strength in the darkness they feel right now. As a nation, we have to ask, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? When in God's name we do what we all know in our gut needs to be done? Yeah. Obviously, started off with a very empathetic and heartfelt message about God being near the brokenhearted and saving those that are crushed in spirit. And then laying all of the blame and trying to turn the moral high ground into some authoritarian figure that can now lay the blame at you and I, the gun owner, and the gun lobby. In other words, people who make a constitutionally protected legal commerce for sale to responsible people are now to blame for the atrocities of the mentally ill or the criminally insane, or violent criminals. And I've said it many times, and I'll say it again, like one of the ways to reduce violence in this country is to stop letting violent people out of jail. That's like one thing we can do right off the rip. Stop letting them out of jail early. Stop reducing the amount of time that they can serve in their sentencing guidelines. And put them away for the maximum amount of time that the law says you can. Don't let them off a day early. And you'll reduce 95% of all violent crime in this country. That is a staggering number. Forget about, you know, trying to blame people who have nothing to do with it. And start to hold accountable the people who do. And... If you really want to show blood on somebody's hands, personally, I feel you can lay the blame at the feet of the politicians that enable violent criminals to get out of jail early. The soft on crime judges, the attorneys generals who refuse to prosecute violent juveniles because they don't want that as a statistic in their communities that there's you know, all this underage violence in their communities. They'd rather go on record as saying, I have this, you know, 100% track record of no arrests of violent 
criminals under 18 because it makes you look good for your reelection campaign. But instead, in reality, you're really just whitewashing and sweeping all the, the ticking time bombs under the carpet. And that is where the, bl- the blame needs to be laid. When there's laws on the books to deal with the violence and the violent criminal, and we don't do it, and we let them out, then frankly, you want this to happen. And I know this is some pretty strong rhetoric, but you actually are encouraging this result. You're encouraging the result of this happening uh, because you could so easily fix 95% of it right off the rip. And then let's talk about the outliers and the hard conversations between the, you know, the mental health industry. If you really want to uh, do something that might move the needle, let's talk about institutionalizing the most violent criminal uh, element of our, of our, you know, communities. You know, I actually did a Bible study for years at um, a maximum security. It wasn't a prison. It was a facility for the criminally insane. And, I got locked into a room with 20 or 30 guys that were, you know, in there and would never see the light of day again because the the crimes that they committed were so heinous that they could never be let out, even though they weren't sentenced. And, you know, that to me was where I could make a difference and move the needle a little bit in those people's lives, knowing they aren't going to get out. But when you start letting those people out of jail, expecting results to be different, God help us, as Joe likes to say, um, you know, or what in God's name is what he was actually saying. But, you know, one of the things, he he likes to quote scripture when it's convenient to himself, but one of the things that Jesus said was, you know, suffer the little children to come unto me. And he also said that if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble. It'd be better that a millstone be hung around his neck and he be cast into the sea than to offend one of these little ones. The strongest language Jesus had in the Bible was when it came to people who hurt children. And, you know, that shows the level of evil in the heart of mankind, of people that will go and want to hurt children. Um, Jesus spoke very harshly about that. So that's some of the scripture I'd love to hear the president quote. And let's let's put that kind of evil in its place and put them down before it has a chance to uh, come up <laughs> in a school with a gun. How about before they get out of the car with the gun, they know they're there and you know start hardening the targets. But anyway, remember to use this week's code training at capegunworks.com. Get a special discount on your web orders. And in honor of the shipment of training we got, that's code TRAINING. So go to capegunworks.com right now to get your special discount using code TRAINING. Whatever the heck any of that meant. You'll get a discount. Just type in TRAINING in the discount code. We'll be right back. This is Rapid Fire. Thanks so much. Made in America since 1949. 
family owned and operated. Legendary performance. This is Hornady. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. Federal punch hollow points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need punch defensive ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal punch defensive hollow point ammunition here at Cape Gunworks. Snap safe. Featuring a pry-resistant 316-inch solid steel door, 2300-degree Fahrenheit one-hour fire shield protection, and a lifetime warranty. SnapSafe, a modular safe with welded safe security. If you're looking for legal protection, text CGWMA to 281-603-0066. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 for a special offer from U.S. Law Shield on self-defense insurance. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 to get a special offer from U.S. Law Shield today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedoms, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And I'm going to get off my soapbox for now and get to some of your questions. Uh, Wesley's thanking me for putting the video up on what we have to go through to get a gun here in Massachusetts. And uh, if you're not from Massachusetts and you want to chuckle, go watch that video that's live on YouTube about how to buy a gun in Massachusetts. Um, Hustle's been saying... Uh, he said, I've been saying this all day long. How do you legislate hate and mental illness caused by various things like social media or trauma? And, uh, you know, it's a very, very d- deep and complex subject. One thing is for sure, and that is there's two things that haven't really changed, right? The Second Amendment, which has been around since the foundation of our con- country, and the fact that 30 years ago, and older, there really wasn't mass shootings in America, uh, in schools. In fact, if you go back, I think it's 35 years, maybe a little longer, maybe 40 years, you'll find that kids took guns to school for their rifle uh, team, or and there were ranges built in schools. So the presence of guns in schools wasn't a problem. Kids didn't shoot up schools, even though they had way uh, more unfettered access to guns than we do today with all kinds of laws about, you know, storage laws and everything else. Um, I remember growing up and the my friend had the gun cabinet in his bedroom. And you know what teenage boys do when gun cabinets are in the bedroom? Yeah, you figure out how to pick locks <laughs> and... We actually picked the locks and put, you know, shotgun barrels down our pant legs and ran across the street, went into the woods and shot a bunch of stuff, pine cones and trees and, you know, whatever else we could find. And then took the gun back apart, put them back in the pant legs and ran back across the street, put them back in the gun cabinet so mom wouldn't know when she got home. And never did it cross our mind to like, take the gun to school or to, you know, go shoot 
people with the gun. It was more just the cool factor of being able to go out in the woods and fire off a few shots and go put it back. Guns were way more available then than they are now, and it wasn't a problem. So something has seriously happened um, in our communities, in our uh, children these days to um, then, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, so anyway, there's that. Uh, Mike points out that Dukakis pushed for the deinstitutionalization of the mentally ill, and uh, he had to deal with this as a result uh, as a special officer in Boston. And yeah, I mean, we've all seen it. We, we see all of our communities and a catatonic like zombie people walking around defecating in public and shooting up on our park benches. It's sad to see. And really, what's the help for them? It's to get them clean needles and to, you know, make sure that their uh, social security check comes in. And, and uh, you know, that's how we deal with the mentally ill these days. It's, it's awful. Like, I'd rather see a better way. Like, there's got to be a better way. Um, Jim says schools should have armed personnel and security procedures in place and adhered to. Um, and Wesley says, we can't legislate evil out of humanity. When they go to fire bombs, they will kill more. Homeschooling uh, will divide the country more. I don't know about homeschooling will divide the country more. I think homeschooling generally uh, produces some responsible people. And uh, I know that, you know, there's two sides to every argument. But anyway, um, let's see here. Uh, Gunweb says they profit now more than any other time as they shame the firearms industry for profiting. Yeah, I get that, too. And, uh, you know, don't forget, you can call in to the Rapid Fire line, 508-444-2120, or send your text to 508-444-2120. Um, Let's see, uh, Dr. J has a very good valid point. It says, if we can give Ukraine $40 billion, we can spend $40 billion to protect our children properly with dedicated armed police per school and get rid of gun-free zones. I definitely think we need to get rid of gun-free zones. That whole um, argument is long overdue. I mean, that failed experiment should have been you know put out to pasture and put to mothballs a long time ago but unfortunately we have revisionist history like uh you know president biden talking about how um the assault weapons ban from 94 to 2004 reduced mass shootings and and uh you know all this stuff but the funny thing is he likes to point out that shootings tripled after the assault weapons ban ended but guess what else coincided with that Gun-free zones. And I could make the argument gun-free zones, you know, is a magnet for the evil, deranged person out there to do as many, uh, to, you know, kill as many people as possible. There's one thing they want, and that's body counts, unfortunately. Dr. J says, if we can secure airports and courthouses, we can secure schools. Tired of the common-sense gun laws argument. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, It's... It's not that difficult. And in fact, it's very cheap. We'll talk about this a little bit later in the second hour as well. But in, I think we just built a school here on Cape Cod that exceeded $100 million. You're telling me you can't, you know, scrounge out 400 grand of the budget to put in a good camera system, to put in electronic locks on every door, 
to harden the doors to the classrooms, to put some bulletproof glass in the foyers of, of the schools and make an anteroom so that, the uh, you know, you can't be just automatically let into the school. And if someone comes in the first set of doors, they can't get into the general school area until they've shown some sort of, you know, need to be there. Uh, that all can happen very easily. And it's not very expensive. Uh, the Southwestern High School in Shelby County, Indiana, is a perfect example of that. And uh, again, we'll talk about it a little bit later. But that whole school was secured. Go look at the video. It's called The Most Secure School in America. And it was $400,000 to implement all of this. And it's phenomenal technology. Um, make it a bad idea to want to try to go to one of these schools and pray on the, on the weak and the and the vulnerable. Um, and Duncan was saying hockey pucks are great too. In response to the uh, to the what Pincus was saying about a can of corn or you know cans of food, and he also said when he brought bought his kids level three A armor for the backpacks, it was very strange and hard conversation. And the beauty of that is those panels aren't very heavy, so you can get them from Premier Body. Uh, armor and you can slide them right into the backpack they're not going to add a ton of weight they take up virtually no room and they have that extra level of security if they wear a backpack and some even have a second panel that deploys to the front Um, but anyway um, yeah uh, Gunwebs is saying a volunteer role model and mentors offering uh, life coaching lend an ear and possibly advocate for issues the kids face to uh, help reduce those issues from festering into violence. And I think that's a great idea. Um, it'd be a, it'd be very helpful if you ask me. Um, a lot of people are, you know, saying that they should make some sort of agency out of retired veterans to protect schools in plain clothes and unseen firearms, uh, build the schools like we build pol- police stations, et cetera. Um, I do think, you know, like the armed air marshal program, if you just let people on school grounds who are already there, they're required to be there as part of their job, um, carry a gun like they would be able to if they worked for the DPW or the, you know, any other, you know, private sector job out there. Um, and I don't care if you want to require them to get some training. Um, that's not a bet. It's still a step in the right direction. If you ask me, get some training. Um, in order to carry on the job and then just be quiet about it. Like, but the fact that they're there and they, people know is part of the, uh, deterrence factor, you know? So anyway, Thomas is also asking, how should I ship a handgun to an out of state FFL? Uh, call that FFL Tom and just make sure that they accept a transfer from a non-licensed individual. And then you just put a copy of your driver's license or your LTC and send it off. But if they don't want to accept the transfer from somebody who's not an FFL, you'll have to bring it to a local gun store and have them include a copy of their FFL and send it to them that way. So I don't know why gun dealers do that, but some of them require it come from another FFL instead of a, um, a personal. But they don't have to get it from an FFL. So just but make sure before you send it there. Um, during World War II, Friday was mandatory marksmanship day for seniors. They carried the rifle to school and stored them in the full-size locker. Interesting piece of history there, Wesley. Um, so 
reflex is saying if he's in mass was curious if you could copy a state's laws onto mass which state would it be not packing my bags or anything i would just go with any constitutional carry state um just go to a constitutional carry state florida is headed that direction they're not quite there but new hampshire maine and vermont do it well if you ask me although vermont has restrictions on magazines and assault weapons etc so it's a good question but uh, there'll be more in the next hour if you're listening and on the radio and the show ends here make sure you go to capegunworks.com to catch the second hour uh, you'll get bonus content um, you can go on the rapid fire line 508-444-2120 and leave your voicemail or send in a text and we will get to your questions uh, in the next show or the next hour remember freedom's always going to be on the right side of history i'm toby leary god bless and we will be right back If you're looking for legal protection, text CGWMA to 281-603-0066. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 for a special offer from U.S. Law Shield on self-defense insurance. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 to get a special offer from U.S. Law Shield today. May your tag of a lifetime finally come through. May the snow pile up and the elk come down. May your socks always stay dry. May the herd bull finally break from the herd. And may your aim always stay true. Welcome to the next level. Welcome to the Vortex. This is the Voltec VT-10i. It's your travel buddy, so it goes where you go. To your work, on the road, or at the range. It's the smart and rugged safe built to protect, no matter what you trust it with. We've made sure every inch of your safe is built to the highest possible standards. Security is at the forefront of our thoughts, so no unwanted guest. The VT-10i provides multiple quick and simple access points, including high-resolution biometrics, backlit numeric keys, key entry, and even your smartphone for remote access. The two-point anti-impact latches keep your safe strong, and Voltec lithium-ion battery charges in just 2.5 hours and lasts up to six months, so it won't let you down. There's a reason we're the number one rated biometric safe. Get yours at VoltecSafe.com and find us online at Facebook.com slash VoltecSafe. If you're looking for legal protection, text CGWMA to 281-603-0066. 
Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 for a special offer from U.S. Law Shield on self-defense insurance. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 to get a special offer from U.S. Law Shield today. Welcome to the second hour of Rapid Fire, the 2A Talk radio show sponsored by Vortex Optics. Make sure you tune in each week. You can go to capegunworks.com and click on the Rapid Fire icon to join the conversation. And now you can text the Rapid Fire line, which is 508-444-2120. That's 508-444-2120. You can leave a message. You can call us live when we broadcast, or you can send a text. And remember to like us and subscribe on all of our social media platforms uh, or all of the social media platforms. Our handle is at Cape Gunworks on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Parlor, Twitch, Telegram, Rumble. But Instagram nuked our account. So now you got to follow our backup, which is CGW underscore backup. That's CGW underscore backup. We got Zuckerberg berged on that one. Uh, We're also on Truth now, right? Yeah, Truth Social. So um, basically anywhere you find social media, go ahead and type in Cape Gunworks and you might or might not find us. Um, I think we're on Getter and Parler and all that good stuff. So, oh no, Getter nuked us, right? Oh no, we're on Getter. But what one did we get nuked on? No, we got nuked on one of them. Was it Getter? Yeah, oh well. Their loss, that's the way I feel. I will say Instagram really hurt because we had seven, eight years of content on there and, uh, you know, a lot of good content and whatever. So check out the podcast we did on the John Crump Live show last week. If you want to go to johncrumplive.com, it was, uh, it's right there on the homepage of the latest episodes titled Cape Gunworks. And uh, we had a great conversation with, uh, John Crump and Rich, and uh, it was posted. It's posted on our social media. The link to it, um, but yeah, it was a it was a very interesting conversation about what it's like owning a gun store in Massachusetts or being a Massachusetts gun owner. And we did a little video on YouTube and posted it to all the social media platforms as well about mass gun law and what it's like to try and buy a gun. And I I got a bunch of people chiming in on the chat here um hp said he showed his wife showed it to his wife and and uh she just fell off the chair laughing because it was it's uh, it's sad but when you've lived it 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 really hits home uh how difficult it is to buy a gun in massachusetts so um but we're going to get to lots of your questions uh if you want to be a part of the chat go ahead and type in 508 your text to 508-444-2120 and uh, HPX actually uh, texted in and said, next time Keith Langer's on, ask him if there is a real law on the books. If you get your LTC for target and hunting and you carry for protection, can you get into trouble and what kind of trouble? It's a great idea. Go ahead and make a note of that, Professor Claw, because we will get Keith on to weigh in on that. Because um, that is a good question. And I remember years ago when I first got my license to carry, I was 18 years old, and the irony of it was 
I couldn't buy a gun from a licensed gun shop. My first gun LTC permit was issued for target and hunting, not for any lawful purpose. And I remember there were people who said like, yeah, but the law, I I don't remember if it was Bartley Fox or one of those laws like that, that um, if you carry a gun and it's not for the reason issued that they can't do anything about it anyway, like they can't prosecute you for that. But I don't know if that's changed or not. So uh, we'll get Keith on that uh, for sure, because that's very good question. But the funny thing is, at 18, I couldn't buy a gun from a licensed gun dealer, but I could buy one privately. So think of the logic of that. Like, you want to talk about all this universal background check law and gun show loophole and all this stuff. There there was actually a time when it was illegal for an 18-year-old who had a mass license to carry to buy a gun at the gun store, which would perform the necessary background check and the you know, national instant check system. But I could buy one privately without the, you know, on a blue card, which is a little piece of paper that you would fill out and then mail it into the uh, <laughs> Department of Public Safety to be put into a cardboard box that would then be destroyed by a flood or a leaky roof or something, uh, whatever it was that caused it. But, you know, that's the people who make the laws logic. Like, yeah. We want to make sure 18-year-olds can't buy a gun from a gun store where they do a background check. But we'll go ahead and buy one from someone you don't know. And at the at the time, there was the one advertiser. I used to buy it from a convenience store, and I'd thumb through the truck and heavy equipment and all the carpentry tools of the time. And then I'd end up in the gun section where I could go find the guy selling the gun, and I'd meet him in the park or the, you know, highways and the byways and would fill out the blue card and I'd buy the gun off them. And I had several guns at the time. And it was just funny. Like, you know, I couldn't go buy a gun at, at, you know, local gun shop, but anyway, so <laughs> it's crazy, but that, there you go. Um, the people who make gun laws. So yeah, I encourage you to go watch that video and it, it actually might be nominated for an Academy Award winning, winning performance, I must say. Um, it, it's a, uh, it might be one of my better performances. And you can nominate the, the, oh my. the one who is in the, the lead role or the supporting roles, whichever one you, you feel. But uh, there's, there's several roles in that video. And, uh, <laughs> but there'll be more to come. That I think we're on to something there. But... Um, Anyway, uh, let's see. Um, South Dakota has the fastest transfer of residents, 24 hours, constitutional carry uh, and reciprocity of carry permit. That's pretty cool. That's some good info I didn't know about, Wesley. And I have a friend who moved to uh, Pennsylvania in Pittsburgh, of all places, and the interesting thing was he was moving from Massachusetts to Pennsylvania. So he's used to mass law and the, he goes into, I think it was the local PD or the town hall and he applies for his license to carry. And they say, okay, that's going to be $25. And he hands them the 25 bucks and He's like, when should I come back? And she's looking at him funny, like, what do you mean come back? And he's like, well, come back to pick up the 
uh, permit. <laughs> and he goes, I'm going to give it to you right now. And so, like, he just had to wait 10 minutes for them to print the permit and went out back, came back out with the freshly minted permit that he paid 25 bucks. And it was literally, the like, the same day he came and applied. He just applied, paid the fee, and he got the permit. So I don't know if they just ran a quick Corey check or a quick background check or whatever. And there you have it. It was like, here's your permit. And he was blown away because he was used to, you know, three to six months and blah, blah, blah and all that. So it was it was pretty crazy. Um, Chris is saying that he had a rifle locked in his car so they could go shooting at the local sand pit after school uh, in high school. Yeah, I mean... You're not alone. There's a lot of people, you know, you read the stories about the high school kids who had the shotgun racks in the in the back of their pickup truck in plain sight, you know, while they were in school because they were going hunting after school or they were going to hunt before school. So they would go out in the woods for a couple hours and then um, jump into, uh, <laughs> you know, school clothes, put the shotgun on the rack and drive into the school parking lot and head in for, for class so yeah it's a it's definitely a different day and age in which we live don't forget to check out date night every friday night and ladies night on thursdays they have been selling out so you want to make sure you get signed up early and go ahead and book that ahead of time on capegunworks.com you can also try our range experience package this is a pretty cool way to shoot a gun for the very first time no gun license is required you can come on in and try one out. You don't want to miss the next segment. We got Keith Langer on the phone, so stay tuned. We will be right back. If you crave versatility in a tactical reticle, the new ARBDC-3 delivers with a host of features you need to adapt in the field. A 1MOA center dot provides a precise point of aim, while the surrounding 16MOA open circle helps get your eye into the center faster for rapid target acquisition in close quarters. The ARBDC-3 also adapts to a variety of light conditions. The center dot and surrounding open circle illuminate for low-light shooting, and because the reticle is glass-etched, it can also function without any illumination. When you need to go long, the upper ranging feature allows you to range silhouette targets up to 600 yards, while the bullet drop compensator, or BDC, keeps you on target out to 650 yards. Plus, you get wind holds for 5, 10, and 15 mile per hour winds. The ARBDC-3 is specifically tuned to the ballistic performance of most common 5.56 loads out of an AR-15. There are resources in the reticle manual for conversions to 308, and as with any BDC, information gathered from a chronograph and ballistics calculator can adapt these hash marks to any other caliber and its own unique ballistic curve. From point blank to way down range, adapt with the ARBDC-3. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense, and sometimes legal advice, which we have 
Keith Langer on the phone here. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Keith. You're quite welcome, Toby. Uh, not anything pleasant to discuss today, unfortunately. I agree. It's all happening very fast um, and furious. I mean, details coming out about the shooting in Evalde, Texas, which is tragic and horrific and uh, a parent's worst nightmare. Not to mention Steve Dettelback on uh, Capitol Hill getting his confirmation hearing uh, and, you know, all kinds of gun control legislation being proposed. But, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about is uh, since 2009, they've enacted this gun-free zone uh, bill at all schools federally and made it illegal to actually carry a gun on school grounds, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I think that personally that is a magnet to the criminally insane or evil person who wants to do the most amount of damage in the shortest amount of time on a defenseless, helpless crowd. And, Along those lines, you know, if you're handcuffed and you can't carry a gun in that workplace situation, um, I know, you know, a lot of us are thinking, what can you do? So we recommend you take a class like Countering the Mass Shooter Threat class by the USCCA or um, some sort of unarmed defense class. But frankly, um, at the end of the day, legally, what are you able to do if you're on one of these school campuses that are aka a gun-free zone aka the most dangerous place in America if you ask me um what what can you do to defend yourself like what are some alternatives are there any weapons that you could carry legally uh like a taser or a stun gun or pepper spray um are these legal for a person to carry on school grounds especially here in Massachusetts well, a firearm is forbidden under federal and state law, 26910J. But even with the broad definition of firearm in that section of the MGL, which is basically any sort of gun, uh, quote-unquote, from which a shot, bullet, or pellet can be discharged, you can't carry. If you're going to have it, it needs to be secured in your, fire, in your uh, vehicle. Mm. But a taser does not fire a shot, bullet, or pellet. It fires two electric leads. So I don't think a taser would fall under 26910J, even though they classified it as such for the inane purpose of the um, electronic defensive weapons bill, which they cobbled together incompetently after the State's major loss in the Caetano case. Mm. So what's left? Well, pepper spray. Uh, pepper spray is not uh, listed. And any legal knives, meaning not switchblades, not ballistic knives, not dirks. Now, note that a lot of private schools forbid any weapons on campus as a defined weapon, all of which would be under that category. 
Uh, most of the colleges in Massachusetts, in the infinite wisdom, don't let their co-eds carry pepper spray. Jeez. Go figure. So there's a question of what's legal and what your school allows. But none of that is going to make the school safe. Parents aren't there for the most of the time. Parents aren't patrolling the perimeter. Parents aren't securing the doors. So if you're talking about how to make school safer, you need to look at protecting the facility itself, which means very, very limited points of entry, which points of entry have sally ports so you can get in, but you still need further approval to get into the building beyond the initial entry. And you need some sort of resource officer who's able and willing to step up and engage the threat, as opposed to the fiasco of the Parkland School where the deputy ran away and the rest hid behind their cars. Mm. Yeah, we talked a lot about, uh, you know, there's a company out there called uh, Net Talon that outfitted a school in Shelby County, Indiana, Southwestern High School, uh, which is, in my opinion, the best example of a school that's a hardened target. They have bulletproof glass on all the glass on the ground floor. They have um, bulletproof uh, doors into every classroom. They have electronic lockdown uh, procedures. They have one-way doors on all the exits that allow you out but not back in. They can isolate you from hallway to hallway, which eliminates your ability to travel throughout the uh, school, um, but it always allows you to go outside um, and uh, under certain lockdown procedures. And then they also have cameras everywhere. They're tied in with the local 911 sheriff's department 10 miles up the road, and they have this unbelievable ability to isolate the shooter and then blast them with smoke and strobe lights and loud noises to disrupt their ability to focus and, uh, you know, um, really kind of take aim or if you will, or, or, but I, ideally it's being able to track their precise movement throughout the building in real time from the sheriff's department. And I think, uh, not to mention, like you said, the Sally port, whereas you come in, you go into the first part of the school. And obviously if you're carrying a long gun, they're going <laughs> to not let you into the rest of the school. They're going to isolate you there and with a push of a button have allowed, uh, alerted the authorities. The other thing that's kind of cool is that school has a, uh, a little box inside each classroom where the teacher can flip a toggle switch for either help or all safe. So as the students are kind of in that, like hunkering down in that uh, barricade position, the, the sheriff's department instantly knows they don't have to rush to that classroom. Uh, they can deal with the shooter or active threat on, on site. And the amazing thing is this whole thing cost like $400,000 when it was put in in 2017, which is chump change when you're talking about school budgets and how much schools are cost to build. And I know we just built a school here on Cape Cod that was, I think, pushing $100 million dollars. And to say that we don't have the money and the budget for $400,000 to make the school a harder target. And honestly, it doesn't look like a prison. It looks like every other school in America. And they did a phenomenal job at really hardening the target. 
in the first place. So psychopaths wouldn't be inclined to go there thinking it's they're able to just pick off kids. I don't know if you've uh, seen that or not, but um, you know, hardening the target, I agree with you a hundred percent is the number one job we should be doing with all schools. Number two should be allowing people who want to carry in that, uh, in that workplace environment like they can in every other job in America if they work at a construction site or a retail environment or, you know, wherever they might work. Um, they have the right to keep and bear arms and they're, you know, legally able to do so, maybe require some extra training, I don't know. Um, but at the very uh, least, um, implement some people who want to don't mandate it don't make them have to carry there's not everyone who wants to do that or nor should do that um, but at least giving the option and uh, we got a long way to go I think to win that battle wouldn't you say a very very long way because there is a significant portion of the populace in general and parents in particular that have a meltdown over the idea of their children having any contact with firearms. Mm. So they may go along with an official school resource officer. And then there's a debate over whether they should be plain clothes or in uniform. Plain clothes is obviously less threatening, the officer friendly thing. In uniform makes them easier to find. Of course, it makes them easier to identify as a target if you're a homicidal killer intent on shooting up the school. Right. But those are all secondary issues. The main thing is you need to harden the perimeter and secure access. And you don't have to do it all at once. And you may not even need bulletproof glass, but you certainly need uh, the bulletproof glass in the foyer so they can't shoot their in when they're in the Sally Port area and to protect the people who are going to be calling 911 Mm -hmm. when somebody tries to force entry. And you certainly need a way of hardening the doors of the classrooms and that is very very cheap i've seen this for the past two years there's a company that makes a hardened steel sleeve that slides over the arms on the hydraulic doors that all the classroom doors have the hydraulic automatic closers this hardened steel sleeve slides over the arm and in seconds that door cannot be opened yeah that's cheap that's simple it doesn't require training it requires nothing more than you buy one for each classroom door and you put it on the door with a magnet. This is not something that requires a great deal of time, money, or rebuilding the entire school. And the other thing you want is better perimeter security with cameras. I mean, there are many things that the cameras are needed for before you even get to the school shooter situation. You need it for vandalism. You need it for illicit activities. That's pretty, pretty basic. And the added benefit is you've got the monitors in the same area where the Sally port is, and somebody can glance across a bank of monitors and make sure that the perimeter is clear, Mm. that kids aren't propping open doors to go out and smoke, that nobody's spray painting the walls, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, my kids' school, they've gone through extensive technological installations so that they can monitor vaping in the bathrooms, (laughs) you know, and and I don't want anyone vaping in the bathrooms at school, but that pales in the uh, comparison of 
you know, what, what we saw happen in Evaldi, Texas. And I'm, you know, I, I'm for one, I'm not, I don't want to ever see another mass shooting in a school ever again, personally. So let's figure it out. Let's, let's get some money freed up in the budget to do it when there's the average high school football field in America costs $6 million. Um, I think we need to. It's a question of priorities. And right. they want to spend it on the football field because they, everybody goes to the games and they get the whole town ego thing when the team wins. But the bottom line is you can't wait till there's another tragedy. And instead of worrying about vaping in the bathroom, which is a minor issue, how about getting that same money and spending it on cameras and yeah. uh, putting in a secure sally port at the front door and making sure that all exterior doors have monitors so if somebody opens them it sets off a notice in the front office and then see who's opening that door and why well said well said keith how can people find you on the internet just run my name keith langer go to the website kglangerlaw.com or call the office 508-384-8692 and thanks for coming on again keith we'll look forward to talking to you next time Remember to take a private lesson, get one-on-one instruction tailored to you. We have lessons for pistol, rifle, and shotgun. You can test out different guns. Book one now at capegunworks.com forward slash privates and archery lessons. We will be right back. You're listening to Rapid Fire. Voltec VT-10i. It's your travel buddy, so it goes where you go. To your work, on the road, or at the range. It's the smart and rugged safe built to protect, no matter what you trust it with. We've made sure every inch of your safe is built to the highest possible standards. Security is at the forefront of our thoughts, so no unwanted guest. The VT-10i provides multiple quick and simple access points, including high-resolution biometrics, backlit numeric keys, key entry, and even your smartphone for remote access. The two-point anti-impact latches keep your safe strong, and Voltec lithium-ion battery charges in just 2.5 hours and lasts up to six months, so it won't let you down. There's a reason we're the number one rated biometric safe. Get yours at VoltecSafe.com and find us online at Facebook.com slash VoltecSafe. If you're looking for legal protection, text CGWMA to 281-603-0066. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 for a special offer from U.S. Law Shield on self-defense insurance. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 to get a special offer from U.S. Law Shield today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. 
I'm your host, Toby Leary, and this is your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I want to thank Keith Langer for jumping on the show and uh, offering his opinion in some practical advice on what we could do as communities to make our schools safer. Um, Interestingly enough, but not surprising, Newsweek uh, has tried to link the Uvalde Texas shooting to the passage of constitutional carry in Texas. And I think that is just incredible. Um, The first couple paragraphs of this article basically says, uh, following the most recent shooting and tragedy in Texas, people are once again calling for action and tighter gun control. I don't think people are. I think politicians are. But anyway, I digress. The shooter name redacted, opened fire on the Uvalde Elementary School with an assault rifle, a semi-automatic firearm, which is usually intended for military use. And obviously, Newsweek doesn't have a good fact-checking staff because the AR-15 is not used in the military. Uh, They do use, quote-unquote, assault weapons, which are the fully automatic weapons, And uh, there's not a single military in the world that issues the AR-15. This article's on bearing arms, by the way. Um, And uh, they don't make them for military to use. They're built specifically for the civilian market, but they happen to look like the M16 or the M4 rifle that the military does use. But no one would send their military to war with the AR-15. Further, semi-automatic technology has been around for over a century Uh, and has always been in civilian hands. You'd think Newsweek would use a fact checker, but they clearly don't. And uh, that's not even the worst of it. We all know that this is typical anti-gun propaganda, and it's so prevalent that even a well-meaning journalist could be led astray. And, you know, even in the article, I mean, the, the speech that Biden gave last night was, you know, he brought up the deer in the woods with Kevlar vests argument again, which is just, Ridiculous. I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous. I think this all ties back to the mental health issues that, uh, you know, Rob Pincus was talking about in the first hour. And knowing and being a part of your community and knowing the people that you interact with and knowing how to read them even in, in certain situations. And we have a girl that frequents our, frequently calls our shop and emails us all the time. She even signed up for date night and came in to shoot guns on date night. And it was incumbent upon me, knowing a little bit about her, that um, she struggled with mental health. And I had to say no. I had to say, no, you're not going to get to shoot tonight. She's like, what the heck? That's not right. Like, I signed up. I paid the fee. And I said, well, here's your money back. And Here's another 50, 60 bucks. You can go next door, get a nice dinner with your date and take an Uber home when you're done. But tonight's not your night to shoot a gun. And I'm sorry. And frankly, it's not going to be your night ever here at Cape Gunworks where, you know, I just had to draw the line. And I, you know, could I have gone out there with them in a very hands-on way and said, like, this is how you do it? Yeah, but what is the upside potential for that for me, knowing what I know? Like, I couldn't do that. And we've empowered people on our range, some of the RSOs, if they suspect something's off with someone, don't take a chance, all right? Don't take the risk. 
it's not worth it. Um, you know, say, hey, why don't you come back tomorrow? You know, you're you're probably not in a good place. And, uh, or you seem like you're not in a good place. Come back tomorrow. We'd love to help you out sometime. Or, you know, is there anything we can do to help you? And we've even said, do you have thoughts of harming yourself or somebody? When you voice the words and people hear it, it changes the game a little bit. You know, but showing that they care um, is really, really important. And that's all they're doing. Sometimes people just need to know someone cares. And frankly, if you're that person that cares, uh, you might have just saved lives or saved someone's life uh, just by showing them that you care. So, uh, you know, that's just one thing, a little piece of advice that, you know, I would give. And certainly we've empowered our staff in in that situation. A lot of people complain about the test that we, we require people fill out before they could shoot or before they get kind of vetted to to shoot on our range and that's part of the the process is we want to make sure somebody is cognitively um and emotionally stable enough to be able to handle and shoot a firearm if they can't get through the 40 question test that we have which is an open book test then Today's not their day to shoot. You know what I mean? That's just not worth the risk in our world to take their 40 or 50 bucks. You know, it's not all about the money. And at some point, it's about, um, you know, showing someone you care. And we've had people who were unable to do it. And maybe it's a language barrier. We could help with that. Maybe it's, um, you know, they are, (laughs) you know, can't read. We can help with that. Uh, But the bottom line is you can tell when somebody's just off. When somebody's off, today's not your day to shoot, but what can I do to help? Here's a phone number. Here's somebody you could call. Let me know if there's something I can do to help for you. And that's all people care about is to know that someone's there for them and and cares. But anyway, uh, let's get back to some of your questions um, here on the chat. Uh, HPS says they don't have the money to put police officers at schools, but they have billions to send to every other country in the world. Absolutely. Um, You know, I bet you could get retirees to volunteer. I mean, shoot, you can get retirees to volunteer down at the gun club just to give them keyed access to the steel targets. And they're willing to put in an eight hour day as an RSO on the range. Uh, I bet you, you could get some guys who would be willing to, put in some time, maybe some good veterans, maybe some people transitioning, you know, coming back from, from the military. Uh, you could get retired police officers looking for a day job. Shoot, I bet you could get groups to raise money to pay the private security officers that would come in and do the good work. Um, so there's, I don't think money is the excuse. I just don't. I'm sorry. I, I think that, uh, you know, if there's a will, there's a way. Uh, that's the way I see it. If you really want to end this and you want to uh, put safeguards in place, it shouldn't be about the money. Uh, there's plenty of ways to raise money for defense of our schools. Um, the same thing is happening these days in, in churches. We had a seminar here at 
uh, Cape Gunworks a few months ago, uh, protecting your house of worship. We did a free security seminar for people who want to make their church a little bit more secure, the house of worship a little secure. And it's interesting that a bunch of pastors showed up or about, um, or, you know, elders of churches showed up and it was very, we didn't care what church you're from, uh, very non-denominational. Like, I don't care if you're the, you know, the, (laughs) the, temple, uh, the synagogue, the mosque, the chapel, the, you know, what religion you are. If you want to secure your church and make it a hard, harder target, and churches have the extra special, um, interesting fact that they actually invite troubled people to their building in their house of worship, right? Some of the most emotionally disturbed people are going to church for maybe help, maybe not for help, but if they go there for help, they, the doors are open to them. They're in the right place to get the help. Let's put it that way. Um, and so you, the risk quotient goes up even higher. And now um, you have to have your, you know, radar up, if you will. They'll also, but also you don't want to scare people off. You don't want to run them off. You're there, they're there for help. You want to help them. You don't want to say, you know, oh, you're in the wrong place. Take a hike, pal. I know of some very emotionally disturbed people that have got great help at church and um, managed to turn their life around. That's what the church is there for. But that invitation can also foster tragedy. And um, if you aren't prepared to deal with it, and you haven't taken steps to deal with that, then you're inviting disaster. And I'm glad to see a lot of houses of worship around the country are seriously taking uh, this, you know, uh, and really forming some sort of uh, safety team or security team that they um, call a safety team, if you will. And that's all-encompassing. It's It might be administering first aid. It might be learning how to do CPR. It might be learning how to properly uh, account for the children in the nursery and the children in the Sunday school rooms and knowing who is the teacher and who is uh, are, are the people that are with the children in your church. It might be um, how to get out of the building in a fire. Like this is all important and it's all encompassing. It's not just the active shooter threat, which is probably pretty low on the plausibility principle. You know, if you look at what is most likely to happen in a church, well, shoot, you might need to call 911 and get uh, somebody in there to do CPR. That might be more likely than actually dealing with an active shooter threat. But regardless, take it serious and practice and do it all. And, uh, you know, put a SOP in place, a standard operating procedure, and have key personnel, you know, in the in the management of that administration of that and the change of it because it's going to change over time as well more after this though if you're hearing this and you don't have your gun license we have regularly scheduled ltc classes including ladies only classes and couples classes on june 18th so sign up today at capegunworks.com and we will be right back you're listening to rapid fire
If you're looking for legal protection, text CGWMA to 281-603-0066. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 for a special offer from U.S. Law Shield on self-defense insurance. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 to get a special offer from U.S. Law Shield today. May your tag of a lifetime finally come through. May the snow pile up and the elk come down. May your socks always stay dry. May the herd bull finally break from the herd. And may your aim always stay true. Welcome to the next level. Welcome to the Vortex. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedoms, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And again, it's a tough day. Uh, You know, a lot of rhetoric being thrown around about, uh, you know, the horrific shootings that have been happening in the past few weeks. And uh, Angela, who is an active-duty soldier, if you will, um, or police officer, I'm not sure which, um, says it's not about safety, it's about taking our guns. And that is true. It's like, that does seem to be the, uh, the, the net result of what is being proposed every time there's a tragedy, even though it's the low hanging fruit and it's the typical talking point for the, for the people who want to take gun rights. Even though the solutions that they propose, if applied retroactively to the shootings that they're using to justify this new proposed law, wouldn't have changed a thing. The two proposals now about giving FBI 20 days instead of three days and the universal background checks would not have changed the outcome of this shooting in Evalde, Texas. It's just unbelievable. How about putting all this time, effort, and energy into solutions that will actually change and move the the needle? Um, That is something I'm in favor of. Nice. Um, And I think that that is the low-hanging fruit if you really want to talk about it. If you really want to propose something that will make a difference, let's, let's have that discussion. Let's get together and let's talk about that because I'm willing to have that conversation with anybody. In fact, um, right after Sandy Hook, I kind of took the Grandmothers Against Gun Violence to task a little bit because they were out with their signs on the local rotary here and saying, you know, ban guns and blah, blah, blah and all this stuff. And I kind of said, hey, I was on a radio show and I said, you don't you don't get to co-opt the term against gun violence because gun owners are against the wrong kind of gun violence as well. The only gun violence I'm in favor of is to stop a threat in its tracks. I'm all in favor of violence to end that type of shooter shooting threat. When the border patrol agents engage the shooter in Evaldi, Texas, that's the kind of violence I am for. Okay. Ending it, 
with as much ferocity and violence as possible. So the problem with with uh, saying you're against gun violence is you're trying to take this moral high ground and lay the blame at the feet of the people who aren't responsible and basically blame the inanimate object. And I, they they came to us after I called them out on the radio and said, hey, like we want to hear more about what you have to say. We're not necessarily against guns per se, but we need to do something. And I said, okay, come on in, uh, sit through one of our classes Look at, uh, watch us shoot a gun. I'm, I'll help you shoot a gun. No, 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 no. They didn't want to touch the guns. But they at least had the intellectual honesty to say, okay, maybe there's another way to compromise here, maybe to have the discussion. So they did. They came in and to their credit and they heard, a, heard us talk. And, you know, when suppressors came into the news, they came in and wanted to see me shoot a suppressor. And I said, you might want to put hearing protection on while I shoot this gun that is suppressed. They're like, really? Because all they had been told was like Hollywood, you know, the, you know, the little barely a whisper of the gunshot. And uh, but anyway, and then they invited me to speak at their organization, which I took them up on. Let's keep having that discussion is the way I see it. I think that's a good way to bridge the gap in the communities. If you travel or you want to get your license to carry in multiple states, check out the Utah 36 State Concealed Carry License. You get everything you need to apply for the Utah license. At the end of the class, go to capegunworks.com and click on the class link to book the class today. More after this. This is Rapid Fire. Made in America since 1949. Family owned and operated. Legendary performance. This is Hornady. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. Federal punch hollow points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need punch defensive ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal punch defensive hollow point ammunition here at Cape Gunworks. Snap safe. Featuring a pry-resistant 316-inch solid steel door, 2,300-degree Fahrenheit one-hour fire shield protection, and a lifetime warranty. SnapSafe, a modular safe with welded safe security. If you're looking for legal protection, text CGWMA to 281-603-0066. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 for a special offer from U.S. Law Shield on self-defense insurance. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 to get a special offer from U.S. Law Shield today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And I'm really glad you're with us. Make sure you call into the show, leave your message, or send your text to 508-444-2120. And make make sure you tune in every week so we can try to get to all your questions. 
Uh, that's 508-444-2120. And um, say what? Okay, yeah, go ahead and play that call. Speaking of that Hey, uh, Toby, this is Kevin. I was just wondering um, if you heard of anybody having any problems with shooting 220 grain, 10 millimeter out of their Glock 20s. Thank you. Yeah, great question. Um, I actually have heard of some people shooting the heavier grain bullets in the Glock 20 in 10 millimeter, uh, causing some explosions in the guns. Uh, I know there was an issue a few years back with Buffalo bore ammo and uh, blowing up a Glock that got pretty, you know, got a lot of talk on the gun channels, etc. And I'm not sure if that was a lead bullet or not, but one thing is for sure, you don't want to use a lead bullet in Glock barrels, only a copper jacketed bullet. So, Due to the type of rifling that they have in them, they do not recommend you use lead lead bullets. Um, so I'm not sure if that was uh, part of the part of the issue. Um, so anyway, uh, there there you have that. I would say if you're going to shoot lead ammo, get an aftermarket barrel for the um, for the gun for the Glock. If you're going to you know shoot lead ammo through a Glock, but I had that same question on the Grace Curley show the other day, uh, so it was pretty interesting. But um, we will be hosting the Grace Curley Show on Monday, Memorial Day, from noon to 3. So Toby Leary will be the guest host. So you want to make sure you tune in live Monday from noon to 3. And, um, yeah, I, I look forward to talking all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense on the Grace Curley Show. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of calls. In fact, um, I didn't get to tune into her show today, but she called me this morning just not even knowing which direction to take this uh, show today because uh, she was getting a lot of texts and emails and she was going to have me on, but um, I think, you know, her show probably got away from her, so it didn't happen today, but I'll be hosting on Monday and we'll get to a lot of the stuff we've been talking about today even um, and reach a much bigger, uh, broader audience. Uh, I don't know if we'll be on 2A Tuesday the next Tuesday because... I usually skip the day after I guest host, but we'll see how it goes. But uh, there'll be a lot of interesting talk going on. And Senator Murphy uh, from Connecticut, which is no stranger to urging gun control, um, is saying we need to pass gun control to show we care right now. Like he's ready to uh, say, um, you know, he's willing to roll up his sleeves and sign this into into law and he says i i just don't think why i just don't understand understand why people think we're powerless murphy told reporters we aren't murphy said he is so willing to bend over backwards to find compromise on the legislation i want to show these uh i want to show that this country that we care i care too senator murphy and i'm asking you an honest question what law could you have passed that could have prevented this shooting in Evaldi, Texas? I'll wait. Are you going to come back and say, oh, the fact that the 18-year-old was able to buy a AR-15? Okay. Well, that's dumb because I was able to buy handguns and rifles at 18 years old. And 
that didn't change anything. We send our children, 18-year-old children, to war with assault weapons, with, with you know, M249 squad automatic weapons. We send them with the M240 Bravos, the belt-fed. We send them to war with 50 caliber machine guns. We send them to war with tanks and aircraft and every type of uh, military armament made by the military today. And then we're going to say the same 18-year-old can't buy an AR-15, even though they're able and old enough to vote. They're able and old enough to go to war. They're able and old enough to uh, drive, to, to do a lot of the things in this country that mature adults do every day. But all of a sudden we feel... We can't trust 18-year-olds. And, by the way, the Supreme Court just ruled that to be unconstitutional. I mean, not the Supreme Court, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. So that probably will go to the Supreme Court someday. But anyway, there's a lot of chatter online about uh, people saying that unless you're willing to break the filibuster to actually pass sensible gun control measures, you might as well just say thoughts and prayers. And uh, Kristen Cinema is a Democrat senator from... Uh, Arizona, and she's basically saying that she's not going to rush to gun control, which my hat's off to her for that. And uh, I know Joe Manchin is obviously one that is usually brought into the limelight right after a mass shooting because the Democrats really want to pass some sort of gun control legislation. And he's from a, you know, very blue collar um, state, West Virginia, where they love their guns and freedom. So Um, he's generally not been on the side of gun control. So, um, yeah, the, the bottom line is, you know, there's no law that you can pass. And unfortunately we need to do a better job in the gun community of kind of showing we care, being there for our brother and our sister who might be going through some stuff and help try to be a resource and a help. And it takes work. It's a lot of work. But frankly, the alternative is what we get in Evaldi and, you know, all the other tragic, terrible, terrible shootings. So anyway, um, that's what I want to see happen. And uh, we start to do a good job there. Um, Hopefully, the Steve Dettelbeck, nomination does not go through, which I have said in the earlier hour is David Chipman 2.0. He's the same as David Chipman, just doesn't have the smoldering uh, ashes of Waco, Texas in the pictures. And uh, basically he has proven himself to be a um, opposed to the very freedom and, and has said that he would like to ban assault weapons, quote-unquote assault weapons, what they like to call assault weapons. And uh, FPC says not only uh, does FPC oppose President Biden's nomination of Stephen Dettelback to lead the ATF, we condemn his nomination as yet another naked attempt to weaponize federal law enforcement against peaceable gun owners nationwide. And that is my sentiment as well. Um, And I know... Donald Trump Jr. set up a 2A advocacy group that is leading the charge of, against uh, gun control, and hopefully he will chime in on this, but we'll see. 
Um, thank you. This is the end of the show for this week. And thanks for tuning in. Um, as the show, as always, the show ends here, but it goes on at capegunworks.com. Catch up on past episodes. Make sure you call or text the Rapid Fire Line, 508-444-2120. Keep up the good fight. Support your local community. Be a responsible example in your community of what a local gun advocate can do. And together as Americans, we can overcome. I'm Toby Leary, and God bless. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.